you from Bible. It's your good friend. Hey, hey, Ron. Hope everyone had an amazing day. My day has been interesting. Do 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 do. I drove. I woke up right at six a.m. after having some very interesting dreams. And the only problem is six a.m. is right when the prayer meeting starts at my church, the Cure. And so uh, I was like, oh, should I just, should just stay home? But I was like, no, I had already told some people that I would be there. I live 15 minutes away, and I went ahead and got showered and dressed. So, yeah, so I only got to the prayer meeting with, like, 15 minutes to spare or, some, or so. But people kind of stayed late, so it wasn't too bad. I got a little prayer in there. Group corporate prayer was good. My goal is to be there right at 6 tomorrow, or really 5.55. Um, so then after that, I went out and drove, made some money. Then I got the bright idea to go home a little early <laughs> and eat some lunch. And, uh, yeah, I never left. Started reading and finished up this book called Burn Your Ships by our pastor, uh, Kelly Lorkey. Then I started reading God's Generals. Well, I napped in between that, but then I started reading and did some, finished up my laundry. And yeah, I read God's Generals by, uh, um, who wrote this book? It's written by Robert Slierden. however you say that. And I only read, I, fl- I just flipped randomly to the middle. Yeah, I say randomly quotes because nothing is random. I flipped to the middle of the book. I started reading about this lady named Catherine Coleman. Had a very interesting story. I'll let y'all go look look it up on your own. She was an evangelist. He like went around, did a lot of healings and all that kind of stuff. Prophetic movement. One of the early leaders in the prophetic movement. And then uh read about William J. Seymour, who had a really interesting story. <laughs> Man, that was an interesting story. Just what was that he caught? Was it called? But what did he kept? He caught some disease, and he thought it was because he thought the reason he caught it is because he did not obey right, obey God right away. When the call of God came on his life for him to go start preaching, what did he get? He caught. It's crazy looking at some of these pictures because he's just surrounded by white dudes. Um. smallpox and caused him to be partially blind in his left eye and then there was some some other stuff that happened it's pretty wild let y'all go look that up on your own as y'all can tell i'm kind of tired still my sleep has just been totally thrown off but here we go exodus chapter 7 king james version i apologize y'all if i've I haven't been consistent with this podcast. I'm going to do my best to get back on a regular schedule. I'm doing this daily. My goal is to really drive in the mornings. Go to prayer. And um, finish, yeah, drive all day and be done with my driving. Uber and lifting before, like, really ideally before seven 
So, yeah, start Mondays, like, be on the road by, like, 3. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Sleep from, like, 10 to 2. So it's at 10 to... That's only four hours. I don't know. Eight to two. <laughs> At least get five to six hours of sleep. And then, yeah. Um, just have my days done. Not drive past 10 o'clock every day. So... Um, yeah, it's going to take a, an act of God, a miracle for that. So, uh, this night owl life is getting old and it's a lot of temptation at night dealing with a lot of beautiful drunk women. So as the good word says, take heed lest ye fall. I had a lady climbing the front seat uh, a few days ago. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, your boy. Stay pure. Resisted. I invited her to church. <laughs> that was a close encounter. But anyway, just some, a bunch of other stuff that's been going on. I got so many stories, y'all. Things I can share. But let's go and hop into the word. Exodus chapter 7, King James Version. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron, thy brother, shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of this land, out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. I feel like... The United States, our world, especially the United States and our leadership is like Pharaoh right now. The signs, the wonders, the plagues are all around us, but especially COVID, that was like the first one. Nobody really, you know, as soon as things got back to normal and quotes, people went right back to their old ways, back to the bars, back to the clubs, back to the wild living. That's going to be interesting to see now that um, that the war in Israel started. Oh, and here the war in Israel has begun. We'll see. What's next? What's around the corner? United States is on the clock. Let's go back. Uh, verse four. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay upon my lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Verse six. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. So that did they. Uh, I like that phrase. I really hope that's what's said about me. 
and the Aaron did as the Lord commanded him. And Moses was four score years old. So four score, 20 is a score. So he's 80 years old, 20 times four. So 80 years old and Aaron four score in three years. Wow. Aaron was 83. Wow. I'm gonna wait till my brother sees this. We got a whole thing about 83. 80, 1983 is so my dad had a spiritual encounter with the Lord. And Moses was four score years old and Aaron four score and three years old when they spake when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and, and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men. Why does it say Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh? I thought it was always Moses that did all the dropping his rod. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man and his, man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Hmm. Interesting. Once again, I always thought it was Moses' rod. But in the beginning, it was Aaron's rod. Hmm, let's keep going. The plagues. Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, and this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers and upon their ponds and upon all their pools of water that they may become blood and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. 
and the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, <laughs> and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. It's probably smelled like that river you cross going past the West Bottoms in the KCK. Stinketh. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this house also. And all the Egyptians digged around digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river hmm. there's probably so much to glean from that some bible scholar would go really deep in there but we ain't gonna do all that i'll let y'all do that on your own read some commentaries and the significance of all this symbolism throughout exodus chapter 7 the biggest thing that stands out to me is when it said other than the 83 and aaron Rod being the one that gets cast down, not Moses. Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Like, He wanted the people to go out into the wilderness. So that they could he wanted them to worship him in the wilderness. There's something significant about that. Very significant. That God did not want them to work for Pharaoh anymore. The Egyptians and be under their rule. And he wanted them to go in, no longer be slaves. He wanted them to leave their work. And to worship him in the wilderness, like, I'm sorry, y'all. When I, I think of this, I just think of this modern day society. Like, I talk to my brother a lot. We ain't supposed to be working like this, especially black folks. We should get all, people get mad at me when they talk, when I start talking about reparations. And I know there's all the scriptures that talk about if man shouldn't work, he shouldn't eat. We ain't supposed to be working like this. I'm sorry, y'all. Most of the black folks I know working two and three jobs and make ends meet, working overtime, working like slaves, like barely able to go to church. I talked to a brother last night. Uh, he had the same name as my nephew, Devante. It's spelled a little differently with an E. D-E instead of D-I. But, yeah, he, I, was, I said, are you a Christian? He's like, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, bro. I ain't been to church in a long time. <laughs> I appreciated his honesty. He was a big old dude, too. Like, he could play for the Chiefs. He was riding in a big old SUV. I think that was a... I don't know what that was. Tahoe. But it was nice, too. Clean. And, uh... Anyway. Yeah. Just all of us out here working, man. I put in, like, 60 hours, over 60 hours driving the other week. I'm just thinking to myself, I ain't supposed to be working like this. Like... I know there's other things I could be doing to work smarter and not harder, but like at the same time, just about any other job out there to make them kind of money I need to make right now to pay my child support, to pay my rent, to pay my car payment, to just live and survive. It will require like a lot of either labor power, like 
just a lot of time or a lot of mental power, like physical power, mental power, just to get this time in general. Time that I would rather just be spending in prayer and worship. Spending time just out evangelizing, like, I mean, I know I dug a lot of these ruts in my own. It's crazy. Like, when I bought my car, the guy who sold it to me, he was Egyptian. And he had an Egyptian pyramid on his desk. Like, that was totally not <laughs> coincidence. Uh, there was a sign right there. Shouldn't have done what I did. But anyway, it is what it is. But, um, man, there's just so much stuff, y'all. I could... Where am I going with this? I feel like one of my biggest callings before I leave this earth is to call people out of not just the corporate trap, but the rat race. And don't get in it. Try your best not to get in it in the first place. Don't go to school and get all this debt. Get into all this debt. Unless you're trying to be a doctor or something that requires a, a degree significance and even then make sure it all gets paid for and this so you walk out of there with no debt because it's just bondage try to stay out of credit card debt child support debt buying cars that require a big old loan of any sort, just debt on debt on debt, student loans, all that. Just avoid it. It's bondage. Let my people go. your good friend Aaron with Chew the Bible. We're now Matthew chapter 7. Here we go. Matthew 7. Read now the KJV, by the way, just in case you didn't know. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with the what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. See, now this is one of the most misquoted scriptures in the entire Bible, misunderstood scriptures, because it says, judge not that ye be not judged. Like basically saying when you make it like it is not saying don't judge. It's saying when you do judge, because people make judgments all the time. Shoot. If you play a sport, what is a referee? A judge, when they have freaking, sorry, I need to stop saying freaking. When they have, my daughter was in gymnastics. Who are those people writing up the scores? Judges. If you run a red light, let's let's do something more serious. You go, you, you commit aggravated robbery. You murder somebody. 
what's going to happen? You go see a judge eventually. Um, drug charges, gun, like whatever. You commit a crime, you going to, I went on, I couldn't my domestic violence situation. I stood before a judge. People make judgments, spouses make judgments of their spouse all the time. We all make judgments. A pastor has to make judgment calls on how to lead his flock and submit to the his elders at the church, right? Depending on the organizational structure. They're all the yeah, the elders are making judgments too. Everybody's making judgments every single day. You made a judgment on how to discipline your child. You made a judgment on what school to send your child to. You made a judgment on how to talk to your neighbor based on how their kids are treating each other. Well, you fill in the blank. We all make judgments every single day, right? It's basically saying here, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So whenever I make a judgment, I have to always realize that I'm also going to be judged by that same standard, if not more. I've never made a judgment against somebody or said something that I noticed in their lives, right? Just because I love them and I care for them and I wanted the God's best for them. Knowing that I'm going to be basic, I'm going to be tested in that same area. Like somebody's dealing with sexual sin and I call it out and say, hey, brother, you might really want to consider slowing down that you're on the road to hell. I know good and well, I'm going to be not only tested in that area, but judged for all, every unrighteous, sinful, sexual act, every act, every sin, knowingly and unknowingly. And thank God for the blood of Jesus that covers all my sins. That's the only thing that makes me cleanse before God, a holy God, right? Now, this week, now, that is not giving the license to go do whatever I want to do. But anyway, this scripture is one of the most quoted scriptures. People say all the time, the Bible says, don't judge. Don't judge. It's like, no. There's actually a scripture that says we're going to judge angels. Where is it? In fact, let's go bring it up. We will judge. I don't know how it's going to work. I guess some angels that weren't were slipping on their job when they were supposed to. Guess there's lazy angels out here. What does it mean that we will judge angels in 1 Corinthians 6 3? Let's read it. This is from gotquestions.org. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul tells us that believers will not only judge the world, but also judge angels. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? That's 1 Corinthians 6. Chapter 6, verse 2 through 3. Scripture teaches that the fallen angels will be judged by God. You can go see Isaiah 24, 2 Peter 2, Jude, Jude 1, 6, Revelation 21, 10. But what does Paul mean when he says the saints will also judge angels? What we can surmise from the, this 1 Corinthians passage is that we, as God's children, will be given a higher position than the angels. 
We're not only created in God's image, but redeemed by Christ. Angels are not created in God's image and are not redeemed by Christ. Also, God sends his angels to serve his saints. Those who are to inherit eternal life. Additionally, we know that the Greek word for judge, krino, or K-R-I-N-O, however you say that, also means to rule or govern. This strongly implies that we will have authority over the holy angels, for they have no sin for which to be judged, in the sense of condemned. Most likely, the meaning of this passage is that believers in heaven will take part in the judgment of the fallen angels and exercise some authority over the holy angels. Christ has been exalted above all the angels, and it seems reasonable that those who are in him and made in his likeness will share in his authority, including his authority over the angels. Wow, that's going to be very interesting. So, dear uh, dear Lord, make these angels <laughs> go into the child support office <laughs> and delete my debt and talk to my former wife and be like, hey, uh, how much of this money do you really need from your ex-husband? I'm like, yeah, why don't you just rip up all this order and yeah, have <laughs> these angels, yeah, open up a door for me to move out closer to their, to my kids and wipe these debts away, all these debts. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. There you go. Angels, get to work. All right. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? Here goes the best part right here. But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or some translation that says, before you try to remove the speck of dust in your brother's eye, remove the big old two by four plank wood plank in your eye meaning like really before yeah examine your own heart really take time to fast and to pray and ask the lord if there's any wicked ways in your own heart before you just go around exposing the sin and that you see in other people and rebuking them for it all right, verse four. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine own eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. The biggest thing I can give from that, that scripture is humility. Is really taking the time to examine your own heart. Well, cause you to like it will because i've seen this a lot in churches where people get rebuked or people try to call out sin or stand on a platform and start trying to speak all holier than now it's like there's there's a different tone there's a whole different like demeanor because it's so easy and so easy the longer you've been walking with Jesus and the longer you've resisted sin. My pa pastor brought that up like yesterday about temptation. Like if you struggle with alcohol, like some people have never taken a drink in their life, never touched a drug and they have no desire to, but gossip may be your 
your sin of choice. Uh, gluttony may be your sin of choice. Um, anger, outbursts of wrath, pride. That's a sneaky one. Being a workaholic and making your job. Yeah, idolatry. You can make your spouse an idol. You can make your job an idol. You can make your car fill in the blank. Your reputation, trying to look good in front of others. That's a big one. Like, I'm not going to be undignified in church. I'm not going to raise my hands in church. I'm not going to jump up and down. They're going to think I'm crazy. Because you care more about what other people think than what God thinks of you. And so, yeah, in in saying all that, even right now, as I say that, I can have like a little tinge, a little tone of arrogance to me. Like, like look at me. <laughs> I don't struggle in those areas. You know, why can't you be more like me? It's like, nah, like, the very things, it's because you struggle. That's the other, I was listening to this podcast, and they're talking about um, God loves, they're doing this whole series. It's Robert Madu, uh, Dallas Church, it's called Dallas Social as a church. And they were just talking about, God loves the LBGTQ community. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me, they're just talking about how in the church, for some reason we single out that particular sin. Or it's not, it's kind of taboo to talk, very taboo to talk about. And we got to single that one out as like, yeah, we'll let people get up and give their testimonies about how God delivered them from, you know, pornography, drug addiction, you know, Whatever, those are the big ones in men's groups. When it comes to actual, like, yeah, homosexuality, oh, yeah, we don't want to talk about that one. Um, people are afraid to even be near somebody that used to live a homosexual lifestyle. Some of that is stuff that came out of the AIDS epidemic and the fears of catching AIDS and HIV and all that. And then some of that is just, I don't really 100% know what all that is, but the, yeah, a lot of what people would say is homophobia and all that. Um, I just think it's just ultimately a um, part of the curse, part of the fall. We have to categorize these sins and say these sins, some sins are worse than others. I mean, I get it. Our criminal justice system even categorizes sins and, you know, carries harsher penalties for certain sins. And um, anyway, that's a deeper conversation about abominations and unpardonable sins. As far as I know, the only unpardonable, unpardonable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is debates on what that what even that is. Um. I've heard some people say it's like actually cursing against the Holy Spirit and renouncing the Holy Spirit, all that. And I've heard other people saying it's just completely resisting the nudging of the Holy Spirit. When he nudges you to be saved and, you know, receive salvation and then be sent, go through the process of sanctification. So, anyway... I went pretty deep on that. I didn't mean to go that long. All right. 
Thou, verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened up unto you. There's so many gems in this particular chapter. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So I guess I was gonna. I guess I gotta keep on. I know I gotta keep asking, seeking, knocking. Like Lord, make a way for me to just do my this podcast and write full time. Lord, make a way. Delete these debts. Delete this child support. Or make a way for me to pay above and beyond whatever needs to be paid. I would like for my kids to also go to Christian school again. Like something Christian Academy, like they did when they were little. Just make way, yeah. If it's your will, restore my marriage somehow. If, if that's not your will, because she's already remarried, then provide a new bride. Provide a home for me to stay in closer to my kids. A house, duplex, however you want to do it. A house would be nice. Duplex would be nice too. I'll take either one. Um, what else? Delete these debts, Lord. Help me to lead more and more people to Christ and help me to have the capacity mentally and emotionally and time-wise to really invest into men and to disciple them and to disciple my children. Pray that my kids will follow the Lord. They'll be more on fire for you, Lord, than me. Visit them in their dreams. Visit them in their schools. Visit them throughout their day. Don't leave them alone until they start worshiping you without. And they would stop caring about what their friends think, what other people think of them. They would just be completely surrendered to you. That they'd be even greater evangelists than I am, Lord. That they would stand on tables and tell you people about. They'd be bold for you in a way that even I'm not. They just couldn't pass somebody up without telling them that Jesus loves them and leading them to you, Lord. Ask, seek, knock. These are things we should be asking, seeking, knocking. I should have led with those prayers than the other ones. Anyway. In Jesus' name, mighty name. Yes, baptize my kids in the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the fire. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Baptize us in the fire. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. All right. Verse 12, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Glory, help us, help me not to enter through the broad gate, but the narrow gate. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it now when it says few 
how uh, sometimes I wonder like how few are we talking about? <laughs> Let me get to that. Like when I read scriptures like this, I'm like, man. Sometimes I'm like, why even try? Cause according to this, there's only a few that find it. And a lot of times I think like, shoot, the only people there are gonna be like pastors and those janitors we never heard of who like were on fire forgot all the people that got their heads chopped off for their faith the martyrs like we're talking like less than a million people in heaven shoot maybe as few maybe the jehovah witness nah that ain't right only 144,000 gotta be more than 144,000 all right, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire wherefore by their fruits he shall know them that is a very powerful scripture like anytime people get into like debates over like pre-tribulation post-tribulation for those y'all know what i'm talking about this is all debate whether or not christians will actually go through the rapture or experience the great tribulation, which is like the great persecution of the church. Before we all raptured up and taken into the sky, some people don't yeah, think there is no rapture. Some people think there's no thousand year reign. There's some people that believe that you can lose your salvation. There's other people that believe you can't lose your salvation. There's people that believe that we shouldn't speak in tongues. It's crazy because the book, I was just reading God's Generals, Catherine Coleman. She didn't like for people to pray in tongues out loud during her services because she felt like it was a distraction to the newcomers. She wanted people to just experience God. And then you got somebody like, um, I need to look and see the timing of all that. I think she came later. Then you got somebody like... Um, Uh, William J. Seymour, were they talking all loud in tongues during service and getting all hype? And some others who apparently weird, wild stuff happened. Some of it was people walking in the flesh, they believe. And he was okay with that because he's like, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to quench the spirit. Anyway, um,. There's all these debates, right, over all this stuff. But at the end of the day, they shall be known by the fruit. Does the person have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, long-suffering? Like, do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? They'll be known by their fruit. Love, that's the main thing. The two greatest commands, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's one thing to do all these great things, just preach great sermons and 
do all these amazing works for God. But if you don't have love, then you're nothing. You're like a, nothing but a resounding gong. Even if you cast out demons, like, do you keep it? Do you love well? Do they love well? Are they kind? Are they patient? Slow to anger. Fruit. Where's the fruit? It's like the old commercial was. Where's the beef? Where's the fruit? Verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me. This is considered one of the scariest verses in the Bible. But pay close attention to the wording here. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Now, first of all, stop right there. Go look up all the scriptures that use that phrase, Lord, Lord. And that will help. I'm not going to go do that right now, but I encourage y'all go just look up all the scriptures that use that phrase, Lord, Lord, and it will help this scripture make even more sense. Scripture breathes upon scripture. You can't just read one scripture. It has to read. It has to be read in the full context of the Bible. Otherwise, if you don't read within the full context, then you'll be out of context and you'll create all this, how all these weird doctrines and church splits happen because people poach choose to pick one particular scripture or a couple scriptures and create an entire doctrine off of that one or two scriptures instead of reading the Bible within its entirety. And then once again, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, long suffering, self-control, like, yeah, walking the fruit of the spirit. Anyway, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of thy Father which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? I believe you would go back to the scripture that talks about two greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Where is that? So y'all can go look that up on your own. And then to go into all the world and make preach and make the make disciples. Yeah, that's Matthew twenty two, verse thirty six through forty. And then go into all the world. That's Mark sixteen fifteen. I'm sure it's some other places too. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. All right, many will say, here it goes. This is the scariest part right here. It makes me tremble just thinking about it. Many, not just a few, not some, but many. Many is a lot. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works like seven sons of Sceva. And then I will profess unto them or all those particular denominations or not even denominations but heretical um uh, religions like jehovah witness um that preach or mormons that preach a work-based it's all based on works pretty much the whole religion is based on that so that's what I believe the scripture is referring to. Or anyone that believes that they are saved by their works and not by grace. When Paul said, I will show you my faith by my works. We are saved by grace 
to do good works. I'm not going to quote the exact scripture. Y'all just read, just read the whole New Testament and you'll see what, what Paul is talking about. That's a deep, deeper conversation. We'll get there eventually. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I pro profess unto them. Sorry, homeboy. They didn't say that. It says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So there's two parts to that part. Because to that second, there's the first part. There's actually, all right, there's three parts in the scripture. This verse 22 and 23. That's considered one of the scariest verses in the Bible. One, these people, they claim to know God. Yeah, they claim to have known God and done and their salvation they find in all their works, right? And then the second part is like, nah, you never had a relationship with him. Like you never genuinely took the time to pray to God, to worship him, to even like give tithes and offering and serve on some capacity and some level in the church to build toward his kingdom. Um, you never had, it'd be like being in a marriage and oh yeah, all you got is this piece of paper. Yeah, but y'all never actually, y'all never actually spent time together. Y'all never intimate. You lived in a whole nother country. Y'all never had an intimate relationship. Um, sad thought. And then it says, depart from me. When that last part says, ye worker of iniquity. Like, when it says, ye worker of iniquity, when I think about that, iniquity is sin. Like, you are a worker of sin. Like, that means these folks... They, on the outside, they look like they were doing God's work. They might have had a nice nonprofit. They might have had even been leading a church. Ooh, that's going to be a scary thought. There's going to be some people in the church. I pray to God that's not me. There's people out here who profess to be Christians, who profess to be good people, going to heaven, but are on the broad road to hell. And never, and yeah, they're actually secretly committing all these sins like workers it says worker of iniquity meaning like they were actually actively out here doing some like some dirty stuff like there's this one particular guy in this book i'm reading that i just read god's generals and it's talking about um it was that woman her name was Catherine coleman Kathy Coleman and just like how she married this guy and everybody told her like don't marry her don't marry don't marry him don't marry him. he's the wrong dude he was he like he lied and said that he was divorced when he really wasn't so anyway this woman Catherine Coleman I'm marrying the guy anyway I gotta go read this and see what I'm talking about but anyway the main point I'm trying to say is that dude was basically I pray to God he repented before he passed away 
But he was basically doing a bunch of shady stuff. And, like, he was stealing from people. And he was doing a lot of just shady stuff. And unless he repented, I would see him in that category. Like, any of us, myself included, all of us are susceptible to falling into sin and to backsliding. And I pray to God none of us pass away in a backslidden state so um because then we'll find out for real about the real real on this whole one saved always saved debate whether or not somebody can lose their salvation it's crazy too because what's that dude's name um keep forgetting his name yeah that dude seymour william j seymour there was this other guy named durham Pastor Durham, I can't remember Durham's first name, but he came and they had a whole beef over. C.S. Seymour thought you could lose your salvation and then Durham thought you believed you couldn't. It's the whole thing. Anyway, they'll be known by their fruit. And if that verse doesn't make you tremble, verse 22 and verse 23, many on that day will say, we did this, your name, that, your name, and say, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. Then you might want to question if you are truly saved, because if there's no conviction at all, like if that, that scripture doesn't make you examine your heart, if you don't examine your heart daily on a regular and minute by minute, knowing that if any moment I were to pass away, I can confidently stand before the Lord, right? And the only thing that will allow me to enter into his kingdom is Jesus Christ and his blood that washed me clean, a relationship that a relationship that I have with him. Now there will be some like the thief on the cross who passed through, just like escaping the flames. But I don't want to be that Christian. I want to actually enjoy heaven. I want that. apparently there's gonna be rewards for those of us who to endure to the end. Which is another scripture that about once saved, always saved, like only those who endure to the end will enter the kingdom of heaven. So anyway, let's go. Verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I experienced that. And I was like, Humpty Dumpty, you had a great fall. And only King Jesus could put me back together again. Verse 28, not all the king's horsemen, all the king's men couldn't put... Aaron Humpty Dumpty back together again, but Jesus could. And it came, and he still is. Every single day, restoring me piece by piece. And it came to pass when Jesus has ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. All right, y'all. I'm going to try to do at least one or two more recordings and then get some sleep. 
Thanks for listening. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, or missed the mark, or veered off the path, and fallen short of the glory of God, or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death, or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody, everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen.